0: We're gonna be in Proverbs 2, speaking of wisdom. And if you have a blue Bible that we provide for you, it's on page 528. But we're gonna continue our our study in Proverbs, and we're gonna pick up from where we left off last time. Last time we looked at chapter two, we looked at the first half of the chapter, and this morning we're gonna look at the rest of the chapter, specifically verses twelve through twenty-two. So you go ahead and turn there now. And just as a reminder, the entire chapter, it's a single unit. It's a single unit with a single purpose. And the purpose is this, it's to get you to look at the blessed outcome of obtaining and growing in God's wisdom so that you would see its tremendous value and be motivated to diligently and prayerfully pursue it. I mean, that's the goal of the chapter. That's what you need to walk away from uh, and apply is the fact that we need to go right back to verses one through four and say, now it's time to pursue God's wisdom and to keep growing in it. Proverbs two starts with that set of conditions in verses one through four, and the uh, the remainder, uh, the, the results of those uh, of the chapter, the results of those conditions are described in verses five through twenty two. And verses one through four basically say, if you diligently and prayerfully pursue wisdom, the results will be as follows. And so goes the rest of the chapter. Here's the results and the blessings of wisdom. And what are the results? We looked at verses five through. 11 last time, and to sum it up, we saw that the results of pursuing wisdom are, one, a deepening relationship with the Lord, two, godly insight resulting in moral success in this life, and three, moral protection in this fallen world. And so this morning, we're going to look at verse 12 through 22, which further describe the moral protection, the moral protection that God's wisdom provides for us. But just so we get the idea that this is one message in this chapter and it is one unit, we're going to start in verse one and I just want to read the chapter. So, starting in verse one, read along with me. Solomon writes this My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. See how it helps when we read the entire chapter. We get the the big picture, the flow of Solomon's Lecture to his son to embrace and diligently pursue wisdom. And here's what we're going to look at verses 12 through 22. And our goal this morning is to consider the moral protection that God's wisdom provides so that, again, we might diligently pursue it for ourselves, so that we might go back to verses 1 through 4 and apply those to our life. And this is going to be broken up in the following ways. Verses twelve through fifteen, we're going to see wisdom's protection from wicked men. Verses sixteen through nineteen, wisdom's protection from treacherous women, and in conclusion, verses twenty through twenty-two, which bring the chapter and Solomon's lecture to his son to a close. So, the second half of chapter two, it's basically it's an expansion of what we see in verse eleven. What does verse eleven say? Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Discretion and understanding refer to the wisdom that God gives. And it's by means of His wisdom that He guards us. That's what we talked about last time. God cares for those who are His, and He watches over them, and He protects them. But guess what? He uses means to do that, and the means He's done that is He gives them wisdom so they might walk wisely, live wisely in this life, which will protect them in this fallen world. Verses 12 and following then tell us how wisdom will guard us. And they're going to tell us what it is exactly that wisdom will guard us from. So, in our first point, we're going to see in general this picture that it protects us from wicked men. In verses 12 through 15. And just before we get into this, Solomon's talking to who? He's talking to his son, right? So, he's going to talk to him about, and we've already seen this in chapter 1, the influence of peers. Those other men who are going to try to influence his life, uh, his life, and he's going to talk about the other sex, the uh, potential uh, influence or uh, luring or temptation that might come from women. And so, ladies, keep in mind that this still this still applies to you. Just reverse it; that you can still have, be influenced by your peers, and you can also be tempted by treacherous men, young men. So just think about that. It applies, obviously, straight from the passage to the young man. And, and if you're, especially if you're in your teenage years, uh, this is something that Solomon wanted to get to his son when you're young, his, and daughters likewise, when you're young, so that you might not suffer unnecessary consequences in life, things that you can avoid. So, verse 11, discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you. Verse 12, delivering you, from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. So how will wisdom guard you? Well, it's going to deliver you from the way of evil, and that's specifically the, the way of life that's the opposite of God's way. And this is the way of men who do not fear the Lord. It's not just talking about the evil way in general. It's talking about the way of evil men, men who do not fear the Lord and thus go the opposite of the way that God has told us called He calls us to live. Wisdom will deliver you from that way of life, the evil way, the way of evil, the way of the evil one. And the word, when it says wisdom will deliver you, this word translated as deliver, it means to rescue you, to snatch you away. And based on the context of this chapter, the idea here is not that you are already going the disastrous way of evil. That's not the idea. It's not that you're already going that way and that wisdom's going to pull you out from the midst of it. Remember, Solomon's been teaching his son to embrace and grow in wisdom so that he will not bring upon himself the disastrous consequences of sin and folly. So by saying that wisdom will deliver you, here's what he's trying to say. The idea is that wisdom will prevent you from going down that road in the first place. Wisdom will pull you away so that you won't step foot in the paths that lead to destruction. Do you see that? So... The point here is not simply that wisdom will deliver you from the way of evil in general. And the second part of the verse explains that to us. It clarifies by, uh, that to us by getting more specific. It says, wisdom will deliver you from men of perverted speech. Men of perverted speech. Which could also be translated this way. From men who speak perversities or who say perverse things. And the issue here is not that they use foul language or gossip. Although those are unbefitting of God's people, those are considered wickedness and sin as well, but that's not the idea here when he says perverted speech. To pervert something literally means to turn it over or to turn it upside down. The word perverted here is used to describe the speech of those who have chosen the way of evil for themselves. And they say things that are morally upside down. That is, things that are completely contrary to God's Word. Anything that flies in the face of God's wisdom, His truth, is perverted. It's twisted, it's skewed, it's turned on its head. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said this, Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil. Who who defines what, what is good? It's God, right? So, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Remember what we said wisdom would be pleasant to your soul, right? Sweeter than honey if you wanted to compare it to something. And they replace that with what is truly bitter to your soul. And they say that's sweet. It's upside down, it's perverted. And wouldn't you say this describes society in general? Wouldn't you say that? Men of per, people of perverted speech who take the word of God, the truth of God, what God has revealed about the world and us and everything in it, and they turn it upside down. They completely make it backwards and inverted. People despise and reject God's wisdom. They re- despise and reject the truth and authority of his word, and what they say reflects this. Do you see that? Remember what Jesus said? Out of the mouth, the heart speaks, right? What people say do uh, give an indication of what's in their heart. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, How can you speak good when you are evil? How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Verses 13 through 15 further describe the men of perverted speech. Look at verse 13. There are those who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. In other words, they they reject the straight and level path that is laid out in God's Word, and they choose to live contrary to God's will, and this way that they choose is described as darkness. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says that God's Word is a lamp to His feet. It is a light to His path. Well, you turn away from the truth and guidance and wisdom of God's Word, and that light is taken away. That's what it looks like. And in, later on in Proverbs, Solomon will say, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. Deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Now look at verse 15. These are men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. This, this basically repeats the idea of, from Verse 13. And those who forsake the paths of uprightness, that is uprightness, straightness, moral straightness, straightness as defined in God's Word, they, they forsake those paths, and they go on paths that are crooked, and here's the idea, similar to this idea of perversion, they're morally twisted, crooked. Morally twisted paths instead of the straight paths laid out in God's Word, and essentially that means they live by their own standard of what is right? by their own standard of what is just and good, and because it's contrary to God's Word, it is twisted. It is crooked. That standard is crooked. And the word devious is a synonym for crooked. It means to turn aside or to go the wrong way. We saw this in verse 13. They forsake the paths of uprightness. They turn from those paths. They abandon them. They leave them to walk in the ways of darkness. And as a result... They've taken crooked paths in life. And they have become crooked themselves. Later on in Proverbs, Proverbs 22, verse 5, says this Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. And you know what? It's by embracing God's wisdom you're going to guard your soul, that you're going to avoid those those thorns and snares that are all over the path of those who reject God, reject His Word and His authority over them. So it's by embracing His wisdom that you'll guard yourselves in this life and you will avoid the thorns and snares of sin and folly. Living your life apart from the authoritative guidance of God's Word, it's difficult, it's painful, and it's self-destructive. And we would say that's obvious, but how many times do sometimes we buy into the lie that the other way will give us what we want and be more rewarding. We have to see the big picture, and that's what wisdom does. It helps us see things clearly. And here's a practical example, right? Proverbs speaks in very generally on some things. We're talking about the way of the wicked and these crooked paths. So, What does that look like? Practical example, practical example of this idea of thorns and snares in the path of the crooked. What Paul wrote to Timothy in his first letter, in chapter 6, he says this, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What does God's wisdom say? Well, if we look at the verses right before that, here's God's wisdom. Paul wrote this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. That's what it means to live. That's one of those ways or that's how it looks in one example or in one area of life that looks to embrace God's wisdom and to not go down crooked paths. Well, the crooked paths, to go down, start going down and put your foot on that path, this desire to be rich, this love of money, feeding that, that's making you forsake the way that God's given you. God's wisdom says, no, no, no. Godliness with contentment, that's great gain. Not this material wealth you can get in this life that's Here today, gone tomorrow, no security in that, right? God knows what's best for you. That's the simple truth, right? I mean, that's why we study the Word, we read His Word, we're here this morning. We believe that God knows what's best for us, and it's common sense, you would think, right? He created the world and everything in it. He's in control of all things, and He determines what is to come. So forsaking the upright past he's revealed in his word is absolutely foolish. But in Proverbs we see that those who have chosen to do so they don't care. Remember, we've looked at this before. How long those simple ones we love simplicity. They're content. They despise God's wisdom. They love their simplicity. They don't care. And look at verse fourteen. It shows that they're they're happy with their choice. They're not just indifferent, they're actually happy with the way they have chosen. Verse 14, there are those who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. And the Hebrew text literally says it's those who are happy to do evil and who rejoice in the perversities of evil. The first part speaks of their inward joy and the second part speaks of their outward expression of that joy. And we don't see it as clearly in the ESV, but if you looked at the New American Standard, They they word it that way so you get it. It's it's inward joy and it's an expression of that joy in the second part. The New American Standard Version or translation says there are those who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil. The Holman, Holman Christian Standard Translation says those who enjoy doing evil and celebrate perversion. Now, They may not say that what they do and the way they live is evil, would they? Or that it's morally perverse, but that's the truth. That's the truth. That's what God says it is. That's God's assessment. And we need to line our thoughts with what God has said. So, those who delight, rejoice in doing evil, delight in the perverseness of evil, they don't fear the Lord. They see God's wisdom as worthless That's what it means to despise his wisdom. And instead, they take delight in and celebrate the pleasures that this present world has to offer them. And here's a common response that people would give after the truth of the gospel is clearly presented to them. Now, Now, think about this. If you have an opportunity to explain to somebody the gospel, and you tell them about this amazing gift of forgiveness and reconciliation to God through faith in Jesus Christ... He will forgive you and you come to call him Lord and Savior and you submit your life to him and God will actually give you a new heart so that you live in a way that pleases him. You live wisely and submit to the authority of his word. Here's a common response when people are clearly presented with that truth and especially hearing that you give your life to Christ, it's not just a get out of hell free card, right? It's, it's a lifelong eternal commitment it's something that you're saying i'm bringing myself under submission under christ as lord he is lord over all. i've recognized that and i see the salvation that he's freely given through his sacrifice when they hear that the call is for them to lay down their lives so that they might live a life of true worship and obedience to god and then when they're asked what's keeping you from repenting and trusting christ today right now what would keep you Uh, You know, know, usually you say, why don't you think about that? Why don't you go home and think about it? You know, you don't know what the next hour will bring, right? We don't know when our time will be up, when it will be too late, and death comes knocking at our door. So you could ask, well, what would keep you from doing that right now? A common response would be, I like the way I'm living my life. You know, I don't want to give that up. So the issue is desire. It's desire. The freedom that all people have is the Freedom to act according to their desires. Do you know that? All of humanity, every single person is truly free because they are free to choose according to their desires. So listen to this. Those who are dead in their sins are enslaved to sin, as were we before God saved us. They're enslaved to sin, and sin is what they desire the most. They do not desire God. They do not desire to submit to God and to live according to God's wisdom. No one will repent and trust in Jesus Christ apart from the saving grace of the Father and the life giving work of the Spirit. And I think we're seeing that clearly in Romans. It's God who saves. God must intervene and give you a new heart with new desires. That's what you need. That's the problem. You can't run away from this problem that you have. It's sin. It's in you. It's your heart. You need a new heart. God must intervene and give you a new heart so that you will believe the gospel and repent and trust in Christ so that you will forsake the ways of darkness and walk in the paths of uprightness so that righteousness will be what you desire most, not sin. You will desire God's wisdom. Remember, Paul talks about this. When, when God saves you, you're no longer enslaved to sin. You're no, no longer under its enslaving power. You've been set free, not from the presence of it in your life, but you have been set free and you become slaves of what? Righteousness. You see that? God gives you a new heart. He gives you life. And then you become a slave of righteousness and it's, He doesn't drag you into the kingdom Against your desire, if that makes sense. He doesn't say, here's the good news of the gospel and open your eyes to that truth. And you remember we talked about the calling, those whom he calls, he justifies. And those whom he justifies, he also glorifies. And so when someone comes to saving faith, they don't do it begrudgingly. Their eyes are open and they rejoice that they've found this eternal life in Christ. Like Jesus described the kingdom of God, it's like a treasure, this great treasure that you've discovered. You rejoice when you find it. Something's changed. God gave you a new heart. This is the wisdom, this wisdom that we would now desire. This is the wisdom that will deliver you from wicked men. This wisdom that God gives. From those who have chosen the way of evil and who speak perverse things. They say things that turn the truth and wisdom of God upside down. And here's the danger, something to consider. What they say may be enticing, and it may even be convincing. These are people who will not only defend their immoral way of life, this is a warning, you know, Solomon's giving his son a warning. This isn't just, okay, some people have chosen this way, you know, don't, uh, don't hang out with them or whatever. But he's saying that wisdom will deliver you from these men of perverted speech. They're not only enjoying their immoral way of life, but they'll even try to persuade you. They want to persuade you to believe what they believe and enjoy the things that they enjoy and to buy into their thinking and join them in their ungodly ways. You could say misery loves company. Well, wickedness loves company too. Solomon said back in chapter 1, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. How they entice? Well, he says, if they say. Come with us. Remember how long he gave this illustration of all the things that they're going to say to you, make you think that oh, yeah, I should join them. Yeah, this is why am I working so hard in this life? And look at they're they're getting rewarded. He's warning them: if they entice you, don't consent. If they say all these things, they're going to try to lure you in, don't consent. And he says, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. So what do you need to hold back your foot from ungodly paths? Is it sheer willpower? Is it, you know, All right, temptation comes, I'm just going, I'm going to be strong, man. I'm going to resist it. I'm going to pray, God, yeah, when that comes, just just help me be strong. What do you need? It's not sheer willpower. And granted, we know that God enables us, right? He strengthens us to withstand or to endure that testing, that temptation when it comes. But you need wisdom. You need wisdom. Wisdom will deliver you from the people who have chosen the way of evil for themselves and who are proponents of that way. They are proponents. They're out for converts. They're out to persuade. And how does this work? How, how, will, how does wisdom deliver you? Well, look, back at, look at back at verse 9. Look back at that previous section. If you have wisdom, then you understand righteousness and justice. Equity, every good path—you understand those things. And in other words, your thinking is conformed to the standard of God's word, and as a result, you see the way of evil for what it is, and you stay clear of it. it. Allows you to see things clearly. Also, if you fear the Lord, that means that you do not despise His wisdom. You don't anymore. God saved you. You don't despise it now. You might do foolish things in moments. You might choose folly over wisdom. But if you fear the Lord, that means you do not despise His wisdom. And you see His wisdom as having tremendous value for your life. Do you not see God's wisdom as having tremendous value for your life? What are you doing here? It would be a total waste of your time if this wasn't valuable to you. Pretty bad use of your time, wouldn't you say? We care about this, right? We study the Word of God together. We do that. And and any time we gather... We, want, we, we know that this is God's wisdom for us. It has tremendous value for our lives. And therefore, you pursue it. And as you receive it and grow in it, you find it to be pleasant to your soul. We saw that in verse 10. And then when you see people talking so much about their sin and their way of life and how much they're enjoying it, when, they, when you see them taking so much pleasure in sin and giving the impression that the the immoral, do-as-you-please, God, godless life is fun and satisfying and rewarding, as if in some way you're missing out and not living life to the fullest, man. When you hear that, when you see that, you won't buy it. You will not buy it. Wisdom will remind you that Remember the Apostle John said, the world is passing away along with all its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Think about that. You will not see their way of life as something to be desired and sought after because you have found what is truly pleasant. You have. What's greater than riches, sweeter than honey, if we use that imagery? It's the wisdom of God. David said in the Psalms, he said, the precepts, the commands, the directions of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. They rejoice the heart. Now let's look at this second part, starting in verse 16. Wisdom will not only protect you from wicked men and their way, it will protect you from treacherous women. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, verse 16 so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her god the word that's translated as forbidden means strange what it means and the word that's translated as adulteress means foreigner all right both words are used in the old testament to describe someone who is an outsider of some sorts. And based on the context of this passage, these terms indicate that the woman is a moral outsider. So it's not that she's a foreigner, she's not an Israelite, or that she's strange-looking, or she's just someone who's outside your community or at least your, your, your household. It means that she's a, a moral outsider, could be a, a foreigner, could be an Israelite woman who has gone outside of the way that God's prescribed. She's a moral outsider. She too has turned away from the paths of uprightness, particularly with regard to her marriage relationship. And that's what we see in verse 17. What does it say in 17? She forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. And the companion of her, of her youth, you might have thought, guess it right, it's her husband. It's her husband. People in ancient Israel got married young, by the way, much more so than we do these days. Um, and so you could see how the spouse is called the companion of the youth, of one's youth. And the marriage relationship, well, guess what? You know, that's the most intimate form of companionship in this life. It's the companion of your youth when you get married even if you get married later in life. The woman whom Solomon is war- Solomon's warning his son about is the one who is unfaithful to her husband. The woman who is willing to break her most sacred vow and abandon her closest companion, the man with whom she had become one flesh. Treacherous. The most sacred vow and the closest companion in life. And she's willing to break that off, separate. This adulterous woman forgets the covenant of her God. Some believe that this is referring to her marriage vows. Because you you say your marriage vows in the presence of God. Before the Lord, I disagree that it's referring to that. But I would say, obviously, we already know that she's broken those vows. She's forsaken the companion of her youth. I would suggest that this actually refers to God's covenant with the people of Israel. Most specifically, God had made a covenant with the people of Israel after he delivered them out of Egypt. Remember the Exodus? He delivers them out of Egypt and he brings them through the wilderness to Mount Sinai and And before they enter the promised land, let's just sum it up. It's basically, before they enter the promised land, God makes a covenant with this people. And this is commonly referred to as the Mosaic Covenant. Because Moses was the leader, the mediator, and it was through him that God had made this covenant with the people. So the Mosaic Covenant, and I would say that's what it's referring to, and it contained, this covenant contained God's laws and regulations that instructed the people in how they were to live and how they were to worship Him. That's basically what it is. That's the law of God. And that's contained in Exodus through Deuteronomy. You want to see the laws and the regulations? There's a lot of them, isn't there? It's God's covenant with His people so that they would regulate them and give them instruction as a nation and as a people and how they were to live and worship Him. It wasn't to make their life difficult or burdensome. Why? It was to tell them, here's how you're to live and to worship me rightly so that it will go well with you. God promised he would bring tremendous blessings upon them if they obeyed. But he also promised that for disobedience, he would bring curses upon them. And guess what? The people in turn, they committed themselves and promised to obey all that God commanded. They entered into this agreement this covenant and made it with god now moses warned the people in deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 23 we'll see that he said this because he was going to be taken from them he was going to be he was going to die and they were going to go into the land and be without him Uh, Joshua would be the next leader but his words to them parting words some of them were this take care lest you forget the covenant." of the Lord your God, which He made with you. You see the wording right there? That's the exact type of wording we see here in Proverbs. The woman who had forsaken her husband, and yes, who thus had broken her marriage covenant with her husband, absolutely, she also had forgotten or disregarded the covenant of her God, which clearly stated, you shall not commit she is a treacherous woman. It's not just to her companion, the companion of her youth, but it's to God. And she is faithless and she breaks faith with that. There's betrayal. So why would a young man need protection from her? And here's why, cuz she is hunting for prey. Hunting for prey and those who lack wisdom are easy victims. Easy victims. In verse 16, we see her weapon of choice. What is it? Smooth words. Smooth words. She uses flattery. That's what that is. Flattery. She will sing a man's praises and pile on the compliments, but they won't be sincere. They'll be a means to an end. She will tell you whatever you want to hear in order to get what she wants. She's only interested in gratifying her own desires without a care for what it will cost you, even your life. So, ladies, remember what I said, right? Uh, There are men who will do the same things to you or try to, right? There are smooth talkers who will be very charming and give you lots of attention and make you feel special and say all the right things but they really just want to use you and satisfy their own sexual appetite and their own ego. Do you see that? This is how seduction happens. Adulterous woman, adulterous man, men, ladies, if you have wisdom, then you will not take the bait. You'll not be seduced by the smooth words of an adulterer or of any immoral person for that matter. This doesn't have to be adultery. But that's what Solomon's addressing here. But any immoral person, it'll, it'll preserve you from those that flattery, this seduction that happens. They're, they're trying to lure you in. What does wisdom tell you? What is, when you read the Word of God, does it, does it tell you that you are great and worthy to be praised? Yes, she says all the right things. It's true. This woman has found the right way. She knows the truth. No, wisdom tells you what? Wisdom will tell you that tempters will flatter you and play you to get what they want. And devastating consequences will come upon you if you entertain that nonsense. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes, I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters, chains. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. The one who is living according to God's wisdom will see things clearly and escape her. And we do know the life of Solomon. We do know what happened, don't we, later in life? See, even someone who has all the wisdom in the world and allow their hearts to be turned away. So it's a dangerous, dangerous temptation. Look at verses 18 and 19. For, now I would just say, when it says for, it's not saying because, it's that, that, that conjunction, for, could be translated as surely. That's the point. Surely, her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. And regain could be misleading. That word just means reach. Attain. None who go to her come back, nor do they reach the paths of life. This is the fate of the adulteress, the moral outsider who not only has rejected the Lord, but who is also seducing men to join her in ongoing her ongoing adultery. And, as these verses show, this is the fate of those who follow after her and go into her. They sink down to death with her and they join the dead, the departed. And this is primarily referring to physical death. Physical death, and the picture is that of an untimely death. I mean, granted, death comes to all, right? That's certain. But this idea that death comes sooner as an act of judgment. So an untimely uh, death, an, an act of God's judgment in this life. Physical death. Those who join themselves with this woman who is bringing God's judgment upon herself will suffer that judgment as well. That is why they don't return. They don't reach the paths of life because they've taken her paths, which sink down to death. I would say it's a a very simple idea that's being communicated in those verses, and you could try to pull out, like, you know, is it spiritual death, is all this, I mean, but I would say it's just, it's referring to physical death, and yeah, they don't return, you know why? Because this this judgment that God will bring upon them, and they join themselves to her and become complicit in her sin. And this is a punishment. They don't return. So, in ancient Israel, here's what we have to keep in mind. We're in the Old Testament. We're in the book of Proverbs. Written by Solomon, king of Israel. In ancient Israel, adultery, according to the covenant God made with His people, it's punishable by death. That's according to God's law. Deuteronomy 22 says this, If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. And even if capital punishment wasn't carried out, the fact remains that, as Solomon says in Proverbs, a man's ways are before the eyes of of the Lord. So God could certainly strike down an adulterer by some other means, and we see that in the Old Testament as well. However, it's important to keep in mind that God will carry out his judgments in his own timing. And it's also important to remember that God may choose to show mercy to the offenders. Proverbs presents general truths. We have to remember that. Okay? So, physical death, yes. Proverbs is presenting a general truth. God also, we know, according to his word, shows mercy he is merciful. And God, uh, Proverbs. With these general truths, it just basically is presenting true statements about how things in life generally play out, but that doesn't mean there are not exceptions. We have to understand that. So don't take every, everything that's said in Proverbs as a 100% absolute guarantee. Well, no, it's a general truth about life. It is wisdom. So, in exceptions in life, when I say that, that doesn't mean that they contradict the character of God or the Word of God. Uh, There are exceptions because our righteous God does as He pleases according to His good purpose. And He might allow that. And what about today? Uh, We're not in ancient Israel. We're not under the Mosaic covenants. And adultery is not punishable by death, at least in our country. The sin of adultery will still result in devastating consequences, will it not? It'll mess up your life and perhaps, yes, even your untimely death. Because marriage is sacred to God. He takes it seriously. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. This is a sweeping statement. Let it be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. However, As heinous as the sin of adultery is, those who have committed adultery are not beyond the saving grace of God. Again, Proverbs, general truths about the way life works, but God still is merciful and he still saves even the adulterer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at this. Paul wrote this Do you not, and he's speaking to the church in Corinth, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And again, those are life patterns. Not just talking about instances of sin, but these are things that characterize their life. And he says this, Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen to that. If you are in Christ, you have been washed and sanctified and justified. And guess what? You're called to live wisely. And that includes honoring God's design. God's design for marriage. And it includes fleeing from all sexual immorality. That's a... a, a, a simple command to read and to understand. It is you flee from it. And now the, the final verses, and this will be shorter because it really functions. The verses twenty through twenty-two are really kind of the, the conclusion of this chapter. We've seen that God's wisdom will protect us from wicked men and treacherous women, both of whom seek to persuade us to forsake God's way for their way, light for darkness, good for evil, life for death, and here's the result of God's protection through His wisdom. Here's the result. Verse 20, So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. The way of the wicked is dark, it is crooked, and it sinks down to death. Wisdom will keep you on the straight and level path that's laid out for you in God's Word, and guess what? You'll be in good company. In the company of those who fear God and are committed to doing what He says is good and right. You know, another way temptation works is to make you feel like everybody's doing it, man. You know, like why well, you'd be weird. In uh, in this idea that uh, to live the Christian life, you're just going to be some outsider in some sense, and that yeah, that's true. The world will hate you because they hated Christ. But you are not alone in this, are you? You choose God's way. There are others that he's shown grace to and saved. Fellowship, right? You'll be in good company. That's encouraging. That's an encouraging thought. And in verses 21 and 22, look at those. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity, which literally means they're blameless, they will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Now, again, context. To the people of Israel, the land meant the promised land. The land that God promised to them as an everlasting possession. After He brought them out of Egypt, He brought them to this land. And this is the land of Canaan. It's also called Palestine, the land of Israel. This is the land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants as an everlasting possession. And so to be removed from the land, that was considered the worst, the worst of all the judgments that God warned his people of in the Mosaic Covenant. Remember, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. The worst one was you will be removed. You will be taken, expelled from the land. And one day, this judgment would be carried out in an ultimate and final sense. If we look later in Israel's history, they were expelled from the land. God graciously brought them back, as he said he would. But in an ultimate and final sense, I would say that's what this passage is pointing us to, is this idea of being cut off from the land. One day, not just Israel really, but the whole world will be divided into two groups. It's as simple as that. There's going to be those who fear the Lord and embrace His wisdom and therefore are upright and blameless or those who reject the Lord and they despise His wisdom and therefore are wicked and treacherous. There's no middle road. Do you get that? The wisdom of God says there's two ways in life. The Wisdom literature, wisdom literature, scripture in the Bible, when we look at Proverbs or any of the Psalms that are considered wisdom literature, they're going to say that two ways in life Choose the way of righteousness. Choose God's way that it might go well with you, but also that you might remain in the land. And for all of us who aren't Israelites, who have this promised land, we're talking about you remain on the earth, right? Christ is going to come and establish his kingdom. It's not going to just be in Israel. He will reign over the entire earth. And who's going to be allowed to enter his kingdom? Only those who fear the Lord. And for us who have believed the gospel, who've come to fear the Lord, we believe the gospel, repented and trusted in Christ. And he's our king, and we're waiting for his return. So, embracing God's wisdom is choosing the road that is eternally secure and leads to eternal life. That's how he brings it to a close. Amen. So, the the urgency is choose wisdom, choose the fear of the Lord today. Do not wait. Look back at verses one through four again. That's our application. We are to be about the business of pursuing God's wisdom. It is for our best. It is for our good. And you know what it also does? It confirms to us that we are truly His. Because if we weren't, oh, we wouldn't like that. We would despise it. And we wouldn't walk according to it. So let that be your encouragement today, throughout the week, and for months and years to come. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for not leaving us in darkness. Lord, thank You for not leaving us under the enslaving power of sin and leaving us dead in our sin, but graciously saving us, making us alive in Christ Jesus who is our wisdom and our sanctification, our redemption. Father, spur us on to Diligently pursue Your wisdom for our lives. Help us to live according to Your Word and to store up Your Word in our hearts so that we might not sin against You. Father, deliver us from those who would try to lead us away from the upright path that You have laid out for us in Your Word. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our Lord and our perfect example. It's in His name we pray. Amen.